Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good Friday morning. Good Friday, February 5, 2021. Puppets of the past. What's harder than forgiving others? Sandra, you were the first. This morning I saw, I said, good morning, family. And how many of you just dive right in saying that? Good morning, family. And truly, we're part of the family of God. We gather together each and every day. So Cesar, Gloria, Don, thank you. Jeff, thank you for being a part of this. And you know the drill. Follow the page, like the page, share the page, do something with it. And don't lurk out there in the shadows. Dive in. Dive in to the deep end, identify yourself, encourage one another, and we need that. We need that now more than we've ever needed it in our entire lives. This is a season to encourage one another in the Lord, and let's see the good things that God can do. I am very thankful, very thankful for your prayers, very thankful for you're being with us. This is the 25th day in a row. And I, I, I'll be, I'll confess I'm a little weary. I'm a little weary, but you guys encourage me when you dive in here. And, uh, and I appreciate you making the effort and sacrifice. Admit it. Go ahead and admit it. Transparency is good. We don't forgive easy. Oh, no, we don't. Ah, maybe we did as children. You see two kids getting a spat on a playground. They're soon going to be hugging each other as if nothing happened. Yeah, that happens as children. Fast forward a few years, though, into adolescence and lifelong friends and enemies are made during that time. If you don't believe it, just go to a high school reunion 20, 40, 50 years later. You're going to see that dynamic still at work, even though you hadn't been around them for years. Enter adulthood, and this is where it gets hard and complex to forgive because competition kicks into high gear. Keeping up with the Joneses means bruised egos and letdowns. Families begin to appear in a lot of relationships. Adulthood can be a friend-making factory or an enemy-attracting Lollapalooza. I just thought I'd use the word Lollapalooza this morning. Yeah. <laughs> And then comes the golden years, and they're called that for a reason. One of those reasons is that you should gain perspective on a few things. You realize how little energy you have to fight the inconsequential. Just don't have the bandwidth to carry on grudges and feuds. Yet even then, I've seen a lot of folks just can't get over what happened to them in the past. Unforgiveness, the unwillingness or the inability the choice not to forgive, it's the deadly nightshade of the soul. Forgiving people's hard. It's hard for a lot of reasons. I, I think sometimes we just delight in holding grudges and nursing pet peeves. They, they fire us up. They get us angry. And if you hadn't learned this lesson yet, it might be good to learn it and learn it very well because it's a danger zone. Somewhere in our primitive self, we discovered that ang anger is equivalent to energy. One way to 
get anger then and to get energy is to think about who hurt us and how they wronged us and plot and scheme for revenge. And yeah, that'll get you fired up. Maybe not in a good way, but uh, you will accelerate over 55 miles an hour on the freeway while you're doing that. Another reason we don't like to forgive, well, it takes two to tango and to forgive, to fully forgive, you and I have to come face to face with what we did to contribute to the matter, what we did wrong. We enjoy seeing our own reflections unless they reflect poorly on ourselves and we run from it. Another reason we don't like to forgive, well, who likes to eat crow? I've tried crow every way you can. Broiled, boiled, sauteed, deep fried, but crow's crow, and nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Can I get a thumbs up on that? Yes, Ronald, that's where we're at, Angie Hope. Let me give you five reasons. Five reasons we need to forgive, and I'm going to put this in the negative where they will sink deep. Number one, unforgiveness is unlike God. Yeah, his mercies are new every morning. He bids us to forgive 70 times seven. But saying something is unlike God means that we're saying it's sin. John said it like this, to hate a brother is to become a murderer. And that person doesn't have eternal life dwelling in them. Second reason, second reason is that unforgiveness damages us more than others. Stephen Crane, in his poem, In the Desert, described a creature he encountered. In his hands was his own heart, and he was eating of his own heart. And he asked, is it good, friend? It is bitter, bitter, he answered, but I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. Unforgiveness corrodes the inner man. Let me flip it. Forgiveness is like healing balm that bathes and saturates and energizes our heart and soul. Could you consider with me two people here? I can't go in the story in detail, don't have the time, but King David and his most trusted advisor, Ahithophel. David messed up, God forgave him. David messed up, but Ahithophel didn't forgive him. And this is where it gets complicated. David messed up and lived, but Ahithophel's unforgiveness eventually brought his own demise. You you may remember that David's sin with Bathsheba had a lot of consequences. Nathan, the prophet said, the sword of the Lord will never depart from your house, David, because of this. And can I just say something here? That those of us who don't forgive also don't have much faith. Don't we know there's a God in heaven who sees all, knows all, will judge all? We don't have to. And isn't that what unforgiveness really is? It's stepping into the role of a judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, back to Ahithophel. You got to compare chapters 11 and 23 of 2 Samuel. And here's what you're going to learn. Ahithophel, this most trusted advisor of King David, he had a son named Eliam. And Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba. For 11 years, Ahithophel must have fought. How could David do that to my granddaughter? How could he take the life of her husband, Uriah? And the anger and the unforgiveness developed in what the writer of Hebrews called a root of bitterness. And that root bore fruit when Ahithophel backed David's own son against his father, David. But when Absalom failed to heed Ahithophel's advice, Ahithophel went home, set his house in order, 
and hung himself. Don't you ever forget, unforgiveness hurts you and me far more than the person who hurt us. Trust God and release that hurt into his care. Oh, can I get a witness to that? And pray as the Lord instructs, forgive as we forgive. Number three, unforgiveness incarcerates. It freezes us in a moment of time, a moment of hurt and pain, encircles our hands and feet with chains and shackles and drops prison bars around us, and it confines us into the tall and strong walls around us. We enter into the fortress of unforgiveness. It's a lonely place. You remember a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong walled city because that's what an offense is. It's a strong walled city. How can I describe it? Not forgiving others is like having concrete blocks tied around your feet, dropped into an ocean of hate and revenge and sadness. You've heard, read, seen the stories of parents of children killed in crimes, that they'll reach out to the person convicted and they'll offer their forgiveness. I know people, I know people on both sides of that equation. I've seen what happens. It's sometimes majestic, it's sometimes therapeutic, but the principle is the same. When we forgive, it sets us free. It was on December 6, 1984, Gloria Pointer was raped and murdered on her way to a school in Cleveland, Ohio. Not a pleasant, just a young lady, 14 years of age. Her mom, Yvonne, was understandably devastated. She went to God in prayer, surrounded herself by friends from her church. She went through a metamorphosis of sorts. At first, it's, it was, who could do this? I want justice. I want justice. But over time, she became aware that that craving for justice was binding her. And she became aware that there are other people that have pain, maybe not exactly like mine, but they have pain, deep pain, loss, hurt. And Yvonne thought, somebody needs to help these people. And she began a quest. For five years, she sought a celebrity, some well-known figure to step into the gap, step up to the plate to help people that were paralyzed by grief and pain, but nobody came. And finally, Yvonne realized, maybe the person I've been looking for is me. And she started a group. At first, she named Parents Against Child Killing. That didn't last long. Soon, she changed it into a name, Positive Plus. Can I quote Yvonne Pointer? She said, I found hatred too heavy a load to carry. Would I want the person who murdered my daughter over for Sunday dinner? No. But if I didn't forgive him, Unforgiveness would kill me too. Forgiveness releases you to live. Oh, I love that. I love that. Number four, why should we forgive? Because unforgiveness sickens. If merry heart does good like a medicine, a broken spirit dries the bone. Imagine what an unforgiving spirit. It's a curious passage. Most of what we know about the Lord's Supper doesn't come from the Gospels, but from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul said there are many weak and sickly amongst us because we don't discern the Lord's body. It's a fascinating study of what means, what does that mean to properly discern the Lord's body? But but Paul said, examine yourself. It begins with self-examination. Take stock of yourself. Examine your own life. Let God help you. We used to sing that song, search me, O God, and know my heart today. 
Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Sick thoughts lead to sick lives. We gotta be healed today. And fifth and finally here, before I get to the what's harder than forgiving others. Remember this, number five, unforgiveness blocks God. Yeah. God is more powerful, of course, than our unwillingness to forgive, but I use the word willingness and unwillingness, and the root of that word is will. God will only if we will. God doesn't need a perfect person, but he does require a willing person. It's in that parable of the unforgiving servant. You see how the one forgiven much would not forgive his neighbor so little. And we see the results of that, that his unforgiveness blocked the master's forgiveness and affected his destiny. It's forgiveness that will unlock the doors of tomorrow. And in this sense, forgiveness is equivalent to a future and unforgiveness equals a dead end. So an unforgiving spirit, these five things is unlike God damages us more than others, incarcerates, sickens, and blocks God. You say, Pastor, I know all these things. And still I find it hard to forgive. I find it hard. You know, I I think it boils down to a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. We need to rethink forgiveness just a moment. When we say we forgive someone, we don't mean that we're condoning what that other person did. We're not pretending that nothing happened or it wasn't a big deal. We're not admitting that our hurt isn't justified. We're not forced to go back into a friendship or relationship only to be hurt again. When we believe forgiveness is those things, then then I can understand it's hard to want to go down that road. If forgiveness is pretending that nothing happened, then why live in such a fantasy? Our definition of forgiveness needs a bit of work here. Can we pull out some wrenches and work on our definition of forgiveness? Here's what forgiveness is. It's about redirecting our energy from the awful burden of holding grudges, harboring resentments, nursing old wounds, and it's putting that energy into something more productive. Forgiveness is about moving on, letting the past stay in the past, And here's where the phrase puppets of the past comes from. Alexandra Asile said, forgiveness allows us to let go of the pain in the memory. And if we let go of the pain in the memory, we can have the memory, but it doesn't control us. When memory controls us, we are then the puppets of the past, powerless to forget But God gives us the power to forgive. And as we forgive, we take our memories and say, you shall not control me. I will not be a puppet of my past. Let's keep hammering a little bit on what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, I choose peace. I choose soundness. I choose well-being. That means more to me than my indignation and my sense of injustice and my hurt. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. You've got things to do, places to go, a life to live, a legacy to share, people who love you and people you love. Forgiveness then turns the chapter and you pick up the pen and you begin to write again, hope again, love again. 
How are we doing there? Melissa, Elaine, does this make sense? True forgiveness permits us to be reunited with God. It permits God's love to arise above the hatred of the enemy. It permits us to be restored with brothers and sisters, or it allows us to put a distance between us and some toxic individual. We forgive, but it doesn't mean we have to pretend that everything's okay. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus called Judas friend. Yet you won't find Judas's name amongst the 12 apostles much longer. And you sure won't find his name on the 12, 12 foundation stones in heaven. We forgive, but we don't always forget. But we're not going to let that memory of the past control us. We shall not be a puppet of the past. And this leads me to something, something where the puppets of the past can really haunt us. Something that is absolutely harder than forgiving others. And I want to help somebody here today. You see, true forgiveness is about giving yourself a clean slate. Why is it that we can forgive others, but we can't forgive ourselves? Why can we overlook the faults in others? give them grace, show them mercy. But we can't overlook our own faults and our own failings. We are puppets to our past. The only thing harder than forgiving others is forgiving ourselves. Yeah, it's very hard. The inability to forgive ourselves. It's a deeply rooted thing. It's a character issue. It's deep within us. It goes, it stems way back to our past and to fallen man. I would say that It's an example of what the Bible calls a weak conscience. Some of the people we believe have the strongest conviction, strongest standards, or what the the Bible calls people with a weak conscience. You can read that in Romans 14. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 14. They're not bad people. They're good people. They're people who fear God, but their consciences are so alert to their own failures and their own weaknesses and shortcomings that they condemn themselves and condemn others as well. You find somebody that's always pointing the finger at others and they're either hiding their own sin or they suffer from a weak conscience. I've endured many a scathing conversation with person who felt that other believers, other ministers, other church members just don't measure up to their high standards. And usually that's a person with a weak conscience because they're always finding fault in others. But if you think they're hard on others, You ought to listen to the conversation they have with themselves. They're harder on themselves. They can't forgive themselves. They can't live up to their own standards. And when that comes crashing in on them, the criticism, the self-loathing and the self-judgment, they can't survive. Now, I don't encourage you to blithely ignore your own failures. I don't encourage you to cover your sins. You shall not prosper. I'm not even encouraging you to quickly forgive yourself. Quick self-forgiveness is usually a sign of self-justification. We're not owning up to our faults and failures that lead to repentance. Only narcissists, sociopaths, and fools don't see their own faults. And we don't want to be in that camp. Now, we are people who have hurt others deeply and say things, oh, well, it is what it is. They just need to get over it. You know, one of the things a jury looks for in a sentencing phase is a sense of remorse on the part of the accused and convicted person. 
without the recognition that we've failed, there's really no freedom. And why do you think that the first of 12 steps in the recovery programs begin with an expression of remorse that we're powerless over this addiction or that? Because without that self-awareness, without that admission, we're only excusing our sin and we shall not and cannot prosper. But beyond that admission and beyond recognizing how you fail, when you hear that same voice harping you again and again saying you shoulda and you coulda and you woulda and regret and shame comes into your heart, that is not godly conviction because godly conviction will lead to sorrow. Sorrow will lead to repentance and repentance will lead to deliverance. You need to learn how to mute that voice, how to remove the puppet master from your life that is constantly animating the skeletons in the closets of things that are buried under the blood and things that you took to the Lord a long time ago. You need to learn to forgive yourself. And it's hard. It's harder than forgiving others because it requires you to really believe the gospel that you can, you can have a new life and turn the page for a new chapter and that old things can pass away and everything can become brand new. You've got to really believe what Jesus said to that woman at his feet, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All of the accusers are gone. The only one who can and is sinless, the one who could judge you, said, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. Except that in ourselves dwells no good things, but we have a treasure in these earthen vessels that the excellency of who we are, what we're becoming, it's Christ working in us, through us. He doesn't make junk. He's into masterpieces. As I said, most people who struggle with forgiving themselves suffer from a weak conscience. They don't need others to point out their flaws. They have that judgy voice constantly condemning themselves, animated by that judgy voice, puppet to the past. Self-condemnation is the arch enemy to somebody with a weak conscience giving grace to others, but not themselves, never good enough to meet their own exacting standards. This is where I appreciate the apostle of love. In his first epistle, the third chapter, he said, brethren, look, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. God knows us. He knows us. He knows us like we don't know ourselves. And still he loves us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. If he thought that much of us, shouldn't we look at our lives as works in progress? Not what we should be, but not what we used to be. God forgives. Claim that forgiveness. Don't permit a memory. And don't forget your, permit your past to control you. Don't be a puppet of the past. Do the hardest thing. Forgive yourself for that failure, that shortcoming, that thing you should have done and didn't do, for that word you spoke in anger, for the word or deed you didn't do, you should have done. You take it to Calvary. You ask him to forgive you. You let him forgive you. And then you forgive yourself. And here's what you're going to learn. The more you forgive yourself, the easier it is to forgive others.
You may not know the name. Let me close with a story of this. And as I'm closing with this story, if you have prayer requests, please leave them out to the side. And I wish you'd purpose to just share this with somebody. Somebody needs to be set free today. Self set free from holding a grudge and set free from judging themselves. You may not know the name. Bill McCartney, but you probably have heard of the group Promise Keepers. Bill McCartney was a coach, a fairly successful coach at the University of Colorado. A couple of conference titles, national championship berth, but his personal life was a wreck. He, his wife, his children, alcohol, anger, addictions, bulimia, contemplated suicide, out-of-wedlock births. You just add it up. The dysfunction was so great. It led to Bill retiring from football when he was only 54 years of age at the peak of his career. So great was his need to focus on his personal life and on his family. If you read about Bill's life, you're going to see a roller coaster. A roller coaster of tremendous highs, dizzying lows, twists and turns that sound more fiction than reality. He would go back to the football fields, but not to coach, to hold rallies. Rallies of men like Bill, who struggled with facing up to their own failures. Those meetings would draw tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Why? It focused on two things. Receiving forgiveness. And offering forgiveness. We know it's far better to give than to receive. But we need to learn how to receive the forgiveness from God, from others, and from ourselves. McCartney's formula for these men was forgive plus give equals live. Be set free by forgiving and being forgiven. And that's a message, folks, we need to live by. That's a message we need to share. Because we don't need to be puppets of our past, animated by some failure of yesterday. We need to be empowered, drawn, and guided into the future by the grace of God, the love of God that passes all understanding. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this today. After 25 days straight, I'm going to sign out for the weekend and tomorrow morning. Oh, Lord, let me sleep a little later than what I've been sleeping. Go have a wonderful weekend, a wonderful day, wonderful weekend. And may the grace of our God be with you. Thank you for being a part of this great family. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.